Welcome to Fusion Fantasy Football. All right, welcome back. It's Fusion Fantasy Football. I'm your host, Joshua, and today we are going to be joined by our good friend, Josh Crocker. He is, of course, known to any regular listeners, but if you don't know Josh Crocker, he is, of course, a weekly in-season expert consultant for the Clock Dodgers podcast. Don't call him a panelist, but he's not a co-host either. <laughs> he's written for Roto Underworld, and he is a, an avid best baller, at least right now. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Welcome, Josh. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic introduction. Of course, always, always. We go above and beyond here at Fusion Fantasy Football on introductions. Uh, no, at least I didn't call you uh, not special like I, I I did Neil Clock Dodgers. <laughs> he deserves it. Well, it was like his third appearance, so he was a regular then. And you're a regular too. I think you were the first guest I even had on this podcast. So it was a long time coming to have you back in 2021. Yeah, I, I I think I've I think I'm ahead of three on this show. I think I, this might be my fourth. Whatever Neil is, I've done more than that. Josh, I had you on today because I want to ask you a very important question right off the bat, and that is, why do you hate Chris Godwin? Well, I don't hate Chris Godwin. I don't Clearly hate Chris do. Godwin. I just I just like volume. That's all. I just like volume. Okay. And and with you know with Tom Brady in town, he doesn't he doesn't have what he used to have as far as volume. And like I know that I know this year he was hurt, but I'm just hesitant to to write too much off of it as as being hurt, you know, like all all the stuff that I look at is per game anyways. I've got him as playing 12 games. I, I just there are just a lot of a lot of other wide receivers out there that are pulling more volume than him or have more upside than him. And I don't disagree that he didn't get a ton of volume. If I I guess when we were having this discussion, it was I thought in more of the context of dynasty and career and everything. So I I thought that he's a good year over a year younger than some of the other guys we were talking about, um, Calvin Ridley and so on. So. While those guys got fed some volume, I felt like Godwin did pretty well considering how much volume he wasn't available to him. And we still don't know what's going to happen with him. And so, I mean, I think I agree there's a lot of uncertainty for him in one year here, next week, this next year, because we don't even know for sure he's just going to be with the Bucks. And then if he is with the Bucks, it's very likely that Brady's playing one more year. And then who knows who he has? And then who knows what happens to Mike Evans? So there's a lot of uncertainty that I felt that there's a lot of avenues to him getting that volume. In the future, I agree 2021 is the most uncertain. But you, I, I just, that just sounds, it's just so, it's too uncertain for me. It's too, it's just too, it's just, it makes me very uncomfortable. So like in my rankings, I have him, I've got Chris Godwin right, right around Cooper Cup, 
Corey Davis, Amari Cooper. And like Corey Davis, he has some of that same uncertainty. So that's not that's not really super fair. But the rest of the people that I mentioned there, those are respectable names. Well, I don't think he's going to go <laughs> alongside Corey Davis. But I do think he's going cheaper than Calvin Ridley and these other names. Uh, so, he's going way cheaper than Calvin Ridley. Right, of course. So that's what I'm saying. That considered, uh, I would take him over the names you just listed. Uh, Cooper Cup, I think, is pretty... I, I, I would say that's pretty fair um, equivalent. But, like, I've got him behind Brandon Ayuk. I've got him behind Robbie Anderson. So that's, that's I'm sure, what you would call hateful. That that sounds hateful to me. Uh, I, d- I think Ayuk's pretty good, but there's, I mean, you're telling me you like volume, but it's not like that San Francisco offense has a ton of volume upside in the passing game either. Well, like Ayuk had eight targets a game, uh, 72 air yards, you know, and if you add the yak, he was he was right around 100 air How yards. that? in split with Debo. I didn't, I don't, I don't do splits, sir. And, no and split. Kittle. Yeah, I understand. I understand. Like there is risk in taking Ayuk, but I think there's also upside there. I mean, he did, he did just turn in uh, 15 points per game in his rookie year. Like, I'm not sure exactly who else is in that cohort, but I bet they're, I bet they're mostly good football players. No, I think he had a lot of things going his way, but he absolutely did something with the opportunity. You're right. I do like him. I just think that his volume was a little bloated. For sure. For sure. But yeah, like, I don't know. That's tough. I saw uh, Todd, Todd from PA, Todd Burrow, that's his name. Um, today was talking about how there was just not enough volume in San Francisco to support Kittle, Debo, and Ayuk. And I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to fade really any of those guys. I mean, especially Debo right now. Debo's going so cheap. And like just looking at that range of outcomes tool that I like, Ayuk looks pretty good. He's got, a, he's got an upside of an 18-point season. So 18-point-per-game season. So I, I think he's... Got to be a wide receiver too. And honestly, I hate disagreeing with you on this one because I, I kind of feel the same um, about all three of those targets and their opportunity. And that's kind of it's kind of a reason uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's favorite kind of late round quarterback for me right now. And I know that's really unpopular, but it seems to me that all it's going to take for him is to turn in a healthy season to be a top. 20 if not better quarterback and he's going well outside of that right now people are acting and yet it's because in dynasty startups it's because there's so much uncertainty for him he could just play one season and then be a backup rest of his career Um, but for what he's costing sometimes it's almost worth it it's definitely worth it it's definitely worth it in best ball because i like he he turned in even last well in in 2019 he turned in almost an eight percent win rate and I think he's 2018 it was five percent 2020 six percent so I just I feel like he's 
without without doing anything special, he's tittering on the edge of being a being a worthwhile player in best ball, anyways. And and now his his weapons are improved, and I feel like he's just due for a healthy year. Will Fuller did it. Jimmy Garoppolo can do it too. <laughs> yeah, and and that's one thing. I mean, we learned when we talked to uh, Doctor Edwin Porras about how it's really easy to get this perception about players being injury prone, but it's really not like that. And just just like that, we can see quarterbacks. I mean, how how long did we think that Matthew Stafford was injury prone, and then he rattled off eight what seven? eight seasons healthy. Yeah. So uh, just because he started with a few bad seasons, uh, unlucky with injury. So Garoppolo, I think he's due for a healthy season and uh, he is one of my favorite late rounds. Um, but when it comes to the, the receivers and Godwin, one of the things you kept on citing was air yards. And so I thought we'd maybe talk about that a little bit and how you use air yards when you're evaluating the wide receivers. And we can kind of use the lens of, of Chris Godwin or some of these other names. I think we talked about Godwin and DJ Moore and, and Ridley were three that we were kind of bouncing around comparing each other. And you were bringing up how, I mean, and it is true, Calvin Ridley had a ridiculous 2042 air yards which um puts uh, i mean I, dk metcalf had 1800 tyreek hill 1771 just to give you some context here he's a good 200 more than the second place um how what does that mean to you it means volume it means volume is coming his way and so if he can be efficient at all with it, that it's going to, it's going to translate into fantasy points. And it also means that there's intention there. Like that offense intends to pour what it has into him. But did they intend to, or did they just miss Julio Jones? Well, they probably did miss Julio Jones. They probably did. But I feel like Ridley at a minimum softened softened that blow i don't think they can be too disappointed with what ridley did for him yeah i I do think that he produced for them on the other hand i kind of wonder there's a balance for me between the the stats outcomes and the nfl outcomes and i think that the falcons offense did not actually produce um they were not as successful as they have been in past seasons, despite seemingly putting up good stats. And I don't know what that means. Um, I don't know if that's if they're going to take that as a sign that they need to do it differently, that they need to use other receivers more, and so on. Or they're going to look at that and think, yeah, wow, we really missed Julio Jones. Maybe. I mean, they, they definitely dumped a lot of resources into uh, a somewhat inefficient receiver, kind of like what Lamar Jackson was doing with Marquise Brown. You know, it doesn't it, it hurts you when you dump a lot of very yards into an inefficient receiver. Yeah, and, and Marquise Brown had almost 1,300 uh, air yards, which is, is a decent amount considering um, he, he only had 99 targets. 
58 receptions, 769 actual received yards. So it's, it's to me, and to give this a little context, like I was saying, Calvin Ridley, he has all those air yards, but his yards after the catch, uh, even though he had 1,374 received area, uh, received yards, just, you know, normal yardage, only 277 yards after the catch. So he was a true catch and fall down this year, which i I want to look back sometime and see how that was his past years because it seemed to me when Julio was there, he was getting a lot more uh, short passes that he was able to take and run with, like slants and so on. And this year it seemed with all that focus uh, on him from defenses, to his credit, yeah, he was getting open and he was getting the targets, but the defense was was right there as soon as he caught it because, I mean, that's a – really low ratio of uh yards after the catch to air yards yeah we like we've seen we've seen guys have this sort of a situation like juju comes to mind right when antonio brown was on the field he just looked like a different kind of a player and and julio's gone and ridley has to change you know, even Jarvis Landry, I think, you know, he when they had the Browns had that season with him where they tried to uh, kind of make him move around the field. They target him down the field, tried to do different things with Jarvis Landry, and it didn't it didn't work that great. So maybe maybe in a in a perfect world, Calvin Ridley is the number two to a more dominant wide receiver. But I still think like this was a this was a good season for Calvin Ridley. Wide receiver five, I think, off the top of my head. He he raised his stocks for sure. Oh, absolutely. He 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 definitely proved that he can be he can repeat as a top twelve, even if Julio is there. Uh, it's only going to take a a little bit of missed time from Julio, or I, I don't even think it's going to require him to miss time. It's just as Julio gets older, I'm not sure he's going to be able to keep up uh, what we're used to. As far as production, I know that I'm not saying that to play the age game and saying you got to get out of Julio and he's no good anymore. I think he's going to be more like one of these players, older veterans who continue to produce. I know a lot of people were afraid he was going to be more like a Calvin Johnson and just like drop off Um, or I mean, Calvin Johnson retired, obviously, but yeah, he's got the Calvin Johnson body type. Yeah, no, exactly. Thank you, because. That's what I was trying to say, that a lot of people look at him and think, well, he's such a physical specimen. As soon as he starts to slow down, like he's just not going to be good anymore. Meanwhile, you've got these other older players, these Jerry Rices, these. Uh, and this is where the comparison breaks down, because then they talk about Larry Fitzgerald. I'm like, well, he's he's not a small guy either. He just learned how to play differently and changed his role. So I wonder if we'll have to see that from Julio Jones, too. And if Ridley's there that opens up that possibility. I'm going to read you something here. Uh, I kind of did something where I took the yards after catch, and I I, I referenced it earlier. I said his ratio of of yards after the catch to air yards, and I discovered something rather interesting. So uh, there's two wide receivers on the same team that, that have the most yards after catch per air yard. Um, And this is, of course, only among receivers with 50 or more targets. So they have to have some volume. 
This isn't just some crazy hyper efficient player. Uh, any guess who who the two two wide receivers are from the same team? I'm, I'm firing up. I'm firing up. There's only gonna be a, there's only going to be a couple <laughs> options that it can be if I say two from the same team with over fifty targets. Was it the Rams? You got it. He's got it. First try. Okay. Cooper Cup well, and Robert Woods are ridiculously efficient with what they're getting. I don't know what that means. I, you know, I think that's an interesting question. And I think that for one thing, they're scheming this sort of a thing for Jared Goff. And, and that might completely change, right? With Matt Stafford, I'm not sure. And yeah. I, I also just wonder how many. How much of Yak is just completely scheme dependent? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like like with guys like Debo and Ayuk, I tend to think that, or like DJ Moore, I tend to think that it's kind of an, an innate skill that they have. But I, I'm not really sure about that. It could be the position that they're being put in. I don't know. True. I mean, we've seen the Golden Tates where even on three different teams, he's still putting up a... a uh, well above league average yards after the catch. But to your point, is he just consistently being used in a role wherever he went that is conducive to getting air yards? So Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, both very good after the catch, but at the same time, the kinds of targets they're getting, we're not giving them a ton of air yards. I mean, 781 air yards, 860 air yards for Cup and Woods, respectively. It, those aren't very high air yards. No. No, I feel like they were starving for air yards the whole way through the season. Like, Robert Woods especially. You know, I, th- I feel like Cooper Cup might continue to play that that shorter game, but with Matthew Stafford, uh, I, think, I think we might see Robert Woods uh, start to look more like Marvin Jones. You know, maybe he doesn't really have that skill set, but at least kind of a just an intermediate route over the top of Cooper cup playing underneath. So to bring this back around and we've caught Chris Godwin only played 12 games, um, has less than targets than both of those guys about the same air yards and same, a little bit less receiving yards. That's fewer games and fewer targets. So he was basically doing with what he got, what Cooper cup and Robert Woods were getting. And uh, early, you when you mentioned Cup um, being kind of the same value as Chris Godwin, that's kind of what I had in mind. But that's what I'm looking at when I see Chris Godwin's potential being much higher than what we saw in his season totals this year. Because, again, it was only 12 games. He matched what he did in 2019. Sorry, what he did in 2018. He matched that this past year in 2020 in only 12 games. Uh, I know he had his great game, his great season in between wide receiver two, but to me that just says it's only going to take a little bit more volume or even just the same volume he just had for a whole season. And he's going to be above thousand yards. He's going to be at that 10 touchdowns. He's going to be up in more like the 1300, 1200 air yard range, which is right with, you know, you're Robbie Anderson and Terry McLaurin and Keenan Allen. What what do you think? What do you think of Tom Brady? Do you think that he is 
a, a low air yard distributor at this point in his career? Or do you think that there are things that could change in year two with the Bucks? I wonder how much air yards at the same, as much as we love air yards, the, the <laughs> difference between intended air yards and completed air yards seems to be a lot of either I can't decide if it's aggressiveness or, or recklessness. And Tom Brady's not reckless. No, he's certainly not. He can be aggressive, which I would I would say like what we've seen in air yards from Matthew Stafford is more aggressiveness than recklessness. What we saw in air yards from Jameis Winston was right. recklessness. So Tom Brady attempted air yards 345 a game. And there is nothing wrong with that. Like, I don't see... That might be first in the league. <laughs> so I'm saying it's aggressive. It's, yeah, it's plenty aggressive. I mean, three... 344, like Joe Burrow was at 344, and, you know, he had games where he was throwing the ball 40 times. Yeah. Um, 323 is Patrick Mahomes. Like, Brady is putting plenty out there, but he's only completing 177 air yards a game, which is 51%, which is, like, just fine. Just fine. Just enough to make me wonder if like his deep ball has lost a little bit of that accuracy or I just don't know. I don't know what my read is on Tom Brady yet. I'd have to check into some of the metrics I looked at before the 2020 season where uh, Brady in his last few seasons at the Patriots was getting slammed for his deep ball. But a lot of the metrics actually showed that he was actually quite efficient and effective. It was just, he wasn't doing it very often, um, but he was actually quite effective with it. But it was with guys like Philip Dorsett. And so I, I, I've wondered, I'd have to double check on those in 2020 as far as, as how that went with, with the Bucks. Um, so I don't really, I, I can't really say anything about that. I'll, I, I wonder if Brady is just very, I'll just give you, okay, just a quick example, and then we should probably move on. But in, in the playoff game against the Packers, uh, that's widely viewed as kind of a not a great game for Brady. And then that's because he had like three interceptions. But the thing about Tom Brady, what I think a lot of people underestimate about him, and it's one of the things that makes him as great as he's been, is I think sometimes he is... He's thinking on a, a a game theory level beyond what most people are, are thinking about. And so there were two interceptions in that game that were deep passes. It was when they were still on their half of the, the field, like the 38 or the 40, their own. And he threw the ball a good 40 yards each of those times, like 30, 40 yards. And so they were basically punts. They were punts that could get completed. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's an interception that doesn't change your win chance, win percentage very much. Yeah. 
Exactly. And, 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 and I'm glad you said it that way because that's not a way that most people are thinking. They think, well, you got an interception, but Brady's thinking it's third down. Do we want to, do I want to just go for a couple yards and then we have to punt or I can take this chance and worst case they intercept it, but they're at their own 35 now, which is a half decent punt. So People look at the stats of the game, they look at it, and they say, oh, Brady had a down game. But to me, it's things like that that Brady does that flips that win percentage, and it's why Brady is able to win more often than people would expect he does because he's doing little things like that that actually improve their winning rate. All this to say, when it comes to some of those deep balls, I think a lot of times they're tactical like that. So that's maybe why you're seeing a lot of air yards there. And so while I said he's not reckless, that doesn't mean he's not taking shots that don't always have a high completion rate because he knows that when they do hit, they're actually going to help them win. But when they don't hit, it's not any worse than a five-yard pass. Yeah, it's, it's like there's a lot more upside there than there is risk. Right. And so that's why that's why I want to say that even though I said he's not reckless, he's can be aggressive, and uh, that may be explaining why he has such a high air yards but low completed, is because he's he's still taking those shots. So like one of the things that I look at when I evaluate just quarterback stats is um, the difference between their air yards per attempt and their yards per attempt, and I I've come to the conclusion that. What you want is balance. The The very best quarterbacks are pretty close in those two numbers. Uh, Tom Brady has taken 9.1 air yards per attempt, which is like he's not a check down quarterback at nine air yards per attempt. There are not very many people who cross that number at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then he's only, he's only cashing in for – um, sorry, 7.6 yards per attempt, which means that like, you know, plus, plus he's only converting 51%. Like that's not fantastic. I, I think, I think he's lost a little bit of touch on his deep ball, but that still only puts him in the second tier of balance as far as those stats go. So it's not, it's not bad by any means. Carson Wentz on the other hand, like that was the problem that I saw with Carson Wentz this year was he was he's attempting 8.8 air yards per attempt and he was only cashing in for six yards. So that's bad. You know, he was converting 42 percent of his air yards. Tom was all the way up at 51. So like what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't feel like Tom Brady is playing overly conservative but I, he's also just not being super efficient on those deep attempts. No, I, I agree. And and that would be reflected in uh, his, his completion percentage above expectation um, per his above the average. I don't think was actually very high, despite uh, the other numbers that you were, you were saying there. Um, he was well behind, you know, all the top, quarterbacks that we think of even guys like Kirk Cousins Ryan Fitzpatrick uh Tannehill and, and so on so uh 
th that's just something to think about. So I, I do see what you're saying is upside for Godwin than having Tom Brady is not high. I, I understand. That's why I said for 2021, I, I don't know. But we don't know where he's going to even be for sure. I do think he's going to end up back with the Bucks. But uh, I, I what I would love to see is in 2022, new quarterback and at least, you know, Antonio Brown will be gone. Maybe they still can somehow keep Mike Evans around, and it's still the two of them again. But I, I think any quarterback is going to love having Chris Godwin around. You know who, where he would be fantastic? Like, this won't happen, but wouldn't you love to see him be a Falcon? <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't Beryl be so happy? Like, I, I just I want to see that because I feel like Matt Ryan is – as close to sure volume as you get, you know, like Matt Ryan's going to throw the ball. He's, he's, he's an, he's a distributor. And I feel like if Godwin got matched up with a guy like that or Aaron Rodgers, then it would be wheels up for them. Yeah. I mean, there was uh, early on, there was talk about maybe he went to the Colts and I, I, I thought that actually wouldn't be too bad. That would be interesting because, like, the picture that I have of Carson Wentz is just uh, loose cannon. And if you give him, a, like, a short target, a reliable short target, I don't know. I don't know. Then maybe that's how you reel in the loose cannon that is Carson Wentz. I don't know. I think it's – I don't think uh, you should pigeonhole Chris Godwin. It's just a short yardage, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, he's not Julian Edelman, but I'm not sure that he's, I don't know. Is he Robert Woods even like, like Robert Woods has that intermediate game. Does Chris Godwin? Why can't he be Calvin Ridley? <laughs> uh, he's, he's as big and faster. No, he can be like, I don't think there's anything about Calvin Ridley that puts him like out of Chris Godwin's league. I guess I just, for no good reason, that I just don't compare those two. I don't know. It would be interesting to see them on a field together. Yeah, and I'm not comparing them in fantasy value or production because, like I said, I, I do agree for the foreseeable future, Calvin really scoring more. But we're talking about a difference of two or three rounds as far as where you have to draft them. Um, but at the same time, like I would take godwin over a lot of the people in this tier that you had him uh, i felt like at that point he's he has still upside that you're not giving him credit for he does have a wide receiver two season and and that is that is worth something like i you know here's the other thing in my rank so like when i post these you know these tier photos like i kind of want to keep it on the sheet as close to like just data robo ranking. And then I can tell myself the story and move guys up. But when I start putting the story into the sheet, like I worry that I'm going to forget why I have the guy there. Like I kind of want to have to tell myself that story each time. And I want to know like, okay, well you're disagreeing with volume by this much and it's okay to do that. But if I start putting it, if I start putting that narrative into the sheet, I just think I'm going to like get confused with who's where and why. 
That's fair. And you're talking about some of those sheets. So we'll we'll talk about that real quick. Um, you're talking about the, the range of outcomes uh, tool. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So Rotoviz has this this range of outcomes tool that I that I really like, and it compares um, a player's last season only. So it's just what they did last year, and it's uh, your typical counting stats. Like, I don't I don't honestly know what exactly makes the machine go, but you know I'm sure it's things like attempts or receptions, yards, touchdowns. And, and probably some basic efficiency stats that can be derived from those things. And so it takes that, it takes that season that they had statistically on a per game basis. And it, it compares that season to everything in their database and matches it to 50 of their most comparable seasons. And then, so, so, so first it builds this group of 50 players that they say are comparable based on last season's performance. And so then it says, okay, so of all those players on a just PPR per game basis, this many of them went down the next year in per game fantasy points. And this many of them went up this year. And it shows you like, there's a graph, like you can see, you can see like it's got 50 bars, 50 players. Some of them are way down and some of them are, you know, up a little bit. I hope that makes sense. Like, so you just, you see these bars either going down and how many points per game they go down all the way across to where they start going up and how high they go up the next season. So it's your, your 50 closest comparable seasons. And then it's how each of those players did the next year. Yeah. And we were talking about it and we came up with some interesting kind of ideas about what you could do with this and, and kind of try to break it down a little bit. Um, one of the things that you commented uh, I, I thought was the most interesting was what you learned about running backs from from looking at at them using this tool. Yeah, so I looked at Jonathan Taylor just right off the bat because his, you know, first round ADP surprised me and he he had like way more downside than upside and I was like, "Oh, this look at look at this. This is terrible. Obviously Jonathan Taylor should not be drafted at this point." And um then I went through the rest of the running backs and it just became apparent that to be a top 12 running back is, is to be in a position where you have about an 80% chance of regression. <laughs> every single, every single running back in the top 12 is probably heading down. Like that's just how football works. But at the same time, like I've got Derrick Henry shares and he's not on the trade block. Like he's not, he's not untouchable, but he's not on the trade block. I know that this is unlikely to continue, but they're, they are the thing that you need to win. And so I just, how do you sell that? And for what? Like, it's not easy. It's not easy. So even though they are not safe bets, I guess, they're they're what you what you need to win yeah it's just so funny because you know like you said one of the first ones you looked at 
and you shared it in the chat. I was like, well, how's how's Jonathan Taylor's looked? And you, you posted the little chart and you're like, ah, it doesn't look that great. And then the next day you come back and you're like, well, none of them look very good. <laughs> it's true. None of them look good. Like <laughs> they're all bad. Like Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey, it just nobody stays on top for that long. Yeah, that's just how it is. There's a lot of one hit kind of seasons in there. You know, your Zach Stacy's and so on, I'm sure that are mixed in. And that's what all the uh, the zeros the next year are. Um, you even have players. And I'm sure in a lot of those cases, uh, all those really bad, bad next seasons. I mean, how many of those are just because of injury? Could be a lot. Yeah, it could be a lot. Yeah. And so it's it's really hard to look at that and think that you have a sure thing with a running back. But like you said, you, you got to have them. You got to start somebody. Honestly, that, that exercise of going through just like every player's range of outcomes and just kind of looking at it and thinking about it has made me think that if I was in a dynasty startup today and I could get like two or three fourth round picks – for a first round pick, I'd do it because even in the first round, like you have a 50% chance of a player hitting a, a player, you know, paying off the price that it took to acquire them. And, and then you go down to the fourth round and you have all these players who have just way more upside than downside. And it, it, they just seem like more attractive assets. It has it has really just changed my view of like where the appreciating assets are in a draft. Yeah, I saw a a trade offer today. It was James Robinson, uh, Amari Cooper, and a twenty two first for Christian McCaffrey. And I was like, you know, a lot of people are going to say that's not enough, but I might just hit accept because it's more things instead of the one thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so like the, the more common adage is to like take your junk drawer crap and combine it into a one thing. But, but you know, Amari Cooper could have a wide receiver one season. James Robinson could have a running back one season that that 22 first could have uh, you know, just a, a positive season, a, a hit type of a season. And sometimes three dice is better than one dice. Yeah, those are not junk pieces. Right, right. Um, speaking of James Robinson, it, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter this past week or two talking about how James Robinson is a sell right now. Because, and they're looking at it through the lens of how, and, and I do understand what they're saying, but I think there's a pivot off of what they're saying, because what they're saying is absolutely correct. The best, most succinct argument I've heard was how, uh, because between now and the draft, almost every scenario is going to impact perception, at least negatively whether they draft another running back, whether they sign a free agent running back, anything they do from now until free agency and then in the rookie draft is is going to negatively impact him, perception-wise, his value. Um, but 
at the same time, I say, but there is something that can happen in free agency and in the draft that can actually improve that offense and improve his chances of producing well for you in the actual season. Um, so I, I was saying their argument is correct, but I think the pivot is to buy him basically now <laughs> because he is low right now. Yeah, he's a third or fourth round best ball pick right now. I mean, he was the RBC, RB7 last year. And that's a redraft best ball league. So you don't even have to worry about his long-term you know, draft capital issues. I don't think that they're not drafting his replacement or signing a replacement for him. He might get competition, but goodness. And I understand a year or two from now, you can say that's possible. But you're talking about a redraft best ball. Yeah, I I just like even if he gets competition, I would like to think that it's at least a fair competition in camp. And and James Robinson was one of the most efficient wide or not wide receivers, obviously. Uh, he was one of the most efficient running backs all season long. Like I just don't see that he's going to get blown out of the water by some rookie in camp. Like I don't, I don't know, man. Like, what what, what more do we want from this guy? He was 11th in targets, you know, 7th in PPR, so 7th and 7th per game. He was efficient with it. He And, you know, everything that we heard about the Jags coming in was like, fade Leonard Fournette because the Jags are a terrible place to play. And I just... The... the I think that the real case against James Robinson is just that he doesn't have the draft pedigree and the team is not invested enough as everybody would like in him. And maybe this season was just a get everything you can out of him type of season before you move on to the next greatest thing. But if I was the incoming coach of the Jags, I would just address everything else and let James Robinson continue to James Robinson and, you know, and I'll, I'll address running back when and if I have to. Like, I know other I know other coaches don't come in with that philosophy. Some of them are very uh, concerned about the talent in the running back room, and they feel like that's big to winning games. But it wouldn't be my priority. I mean, if you're getting second round draft capital running back type of production out of a undrafted free agent. I mean, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that yeah. mean you didn't have to pay a second round? You're getting production you would expect you'd have to pay a second round for. Yeah. There's no there's no legitimate complaint against what this guy did. Well, I And I dug into a little bit, and, and you said some things, and I was trying to play devil's advocate a little bit, and at some point I, I had to give up because <laughs> I was digging into it. And um, so I did a little research, and I... I think I kind of clued in a little bit of why the perception is bad about him. And it, it focuses on how we keep seeing people talk about how he got such a large share of the Jacksonville's uh, work. Um, I don't know how some of these percentages are being calculated. I've seen one where it said he got 96% of the running back work. 
And I'm not sure how they calculated that. I, I think that was snaps based. I'm guessing 96% of the, the running back snaps. I came up with 80% of just the, the rush attempts, 88% of the rush attempts. And he also added uh, 60 targets, which uh, is a good three times as many as the next uh, Gunbawale, right? So sorry, just like while you're on the topic of targets, those targets were not all within five yards of the within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Like they he, were he had, targets. Yeah, they really were. They were. I, I was looking. You posted. I think it was about five yards uh, depth average, which is pretty good for a running back. Yeah, like it doesn't even look like Leonard Fournette's chart from a year ago. Leonard Fournette was. Great within five yards of the line of scrimmage. James Robinson did more down the field, which is really like that's why I have Miles Sanders shares is because when I saw that he had downfield receiving ability, I saw that as a green flag. But about James Robinson, just because he had that high share, I think what's getting missed is that uh, the total volume, people have it in their mind when they talk about how much he was used. They think that he just run him into the ground. They think that he just got this insane volume. And it's funny because volume isn't percentage. Volume is not share. Volume is raw quantity. And Jacksonville actually had the fewest rush attempts in the entire NFL. The fewest rush attempts at 337 total. I think, I'm pretty sure Derrick Henry had almost that many by himself. <laughs> right like, so james robinson has 240 uh rush attempts 60 targets i did the math that's that's as far as snaps and then where the ball went that's james robinson being involved in 30 percent of the offense basically offensive plays and that's not a crazy number derrick henry's 39 david montgomery was 30 percent josh jacobs was 30 percent aaron jones was 26 uh, and a half percent. So then I was looking to it. I like I like my weighted opportunities to give uh, the the targets more value. So it takes two and a half rush attempts to equal one target or one opportunity. And even when I do it like that, Robinson had the sixth most running back uh, weighted opportunities, which lines right up with where you said his his fantasy finish was seventh. So he's right there as far as comparison to. The actual opportunities he's doing something with it and he had 156 of those henry 182 jake again montgomery had more than him david montgomery had more and yet we're not thinking david montgomery got ran into the ground and got way overused we are kind of thinking well he was the only one because everyone got else got injured um but there's there's other players here aaron jones like I said, Josh Jacobs, that are absolutely lead backs, but they are not being perceived as getting some kind of unsustainable, crazy usage. And so what, back to what I said, where there's nothing that can happen between now and the draft. Well, that's not true. They could draft, what, Lawrence, right? A quarterback or actual quarterback? <laughs> that offense can improve. And as... To signify that, they had the third fewest red zone scoring attempts in the NFL last year. And so 
to me, that's that's an indictment on the Jags' offense. And so all that has to go up is a few more. He didn't have nearly as many touchdowns as he probably should have for that much work. And so all he needs to do is stay at the same number of opportunities and the total offense and offensive snaps and plays can increase and the chances of scoring can go up. Nothing needs to change and he can just repeat the production he had and it's not going to be crazy at all. No, I, I'm I'm with you. I think he's I think he's a steal in the third round. All right. Speaking of third round, tight ends. <laughs> Should you take a tight end in the first three rounds? You know you can. You you can. Okay. So it's it's possible for a tight end to hit that early, but I just don't feel like this is the year to do it. Honestly, like and, and so. The, the tale of Travis Kelsey, I think, is, is a good tale to tell. Because last year, he hit. He hit big time, all right? 24% win rate. Travis Kelsey was a fantastic pick. He was a second-round tight end last year. But here's the thing. In 2019, Travis Kelsey was the tight end one. He was the tight end one and... He did not deliver near what he delivered this year in best ball. Okay. With, with the same ADP. So like, I, I have to think that this year's, you know, 300 fantasy point output was probably kind of a high watermark. We're probably headed down. Even if he continues to be the tight end one next year, I just don't feel like you can count on that. And so, so we're looking at a bet where even if the guy you draft first in Kels is the tight end one, it might or might not pay off. And and beyond that, if you look at the way that tight ends are drafted, like let's just say that something horrible happens, like Travis Kels twists his ankle and he misses a few games and he's the tight end four. Well, then you have lost three, four rounds of value just because of the way they're drafted, you know, it's, it's Kels, it's Kittle, it's Waller. And then it's like Mark Andrews in the sixth round. Okay. So you, you have lost so much value in terms of rounds where these players are drafted as compared to running backs, where it's like the, the running back one is one Oh one and the running back six is one Oh eight. You know, there's there's just way too much of a gamble there for me to get behind it. I would just rather go elsewhere with, you know, the resources that I have in the first round. So you were looking at some of these things through the lens of uh, win rate. And there was a few interesting things you found there. It said you said that Kelsey actually had a pretty good win rate this year. Um, but tight ends as a whole, early tight ends didn't seem to do great this year. The the top the top win rates by tight end were really late guys. Okay, Vance McDonald, Jared Cook, <laughs> Jack Doyle, Tyler Eifert, and so like some of these players did not play 
nearly enough to justify this win rate, but they either had few games that spiked, right? Maybe you played in four games, but you had a 20-point game, and that's fantastic. Or or what we're seeing is just like a process. A pr- they're getting points for these drafters were drafting tight end late, and they were just in that package, and that package had a high win rate. Th- those are not tight ends that actually did anything themselves to help you win. And yet teams that drafted them, just so the listener can understand what we're saying here, teams that drafted Jack Doyle and Tyler Eifert had high league winning rates. It had nothing to do with the production that Doyle or Eifert gave that team. The fact is the teams that drafted them went on to win at a high rate. Just to, to make clear what we're saying, is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. And so the only conclusion I can come up out of that is that the teams were winning at a high rate because they did not draft a high tight end. They instead were drafting these guys late. I mean, it's technically possible that the same team that drafted Kelsey in end of the first also drafted Tyler Eifert last round, but I think it's pretty unlikely. Yeah, I I think so too, because the whole point, at least for me, the whole point of drafting a tight end early is that you then do not have to devote roster spots to your junk tight ends late in the draft. So I, I just, I don't know why you would choose to do both. So that's where my hypothesis came in. And this is an unproven hypothesis. I'd have to have access to a lot of data that I don't even know how or where to find to prove it. But I think it's a fairly logical and sensical leap to make, which is that for the reasons you just said, where if you drafted any of the top 12, even 10 tight ends, you are going to be extremely unlikely to be drafting a second tight end anywhere near the top two-thirds of the draft. Maybe you'll grab some late guys as a second, as a backup, right? 16th round, something like that. But the point is, when that player, that Tyler Higby, maybe, tight end 10 off the board in the, what, eighth, ninth round last year, when he goes off and he when, when he's just sitting on your your roster on doing nothing, right? Because you paid even just something for him, you you don't quite want to give up on him. And when some unknown tight end has a big game, you have to decide am I going to drop this guy <laughs> that I drafted in with, you know, a ninth round pick? Am I going to throw that away and pay up a high waiver bid for some guy named Robert Tanyan? (laughs) We now know it's Tanyan, but at the time, everyone's like, who's this Tanyan guy, right? What was uh, Robert Tanyan's uh, win rate? I'll let you look that up. But my, my hypothesis is basically that the teams that drafted these junk guys later, the reason that they have high win rates is because those teams were willing 
And not only willing, they were ready and aggressively going after the late round guys, guys on waivers. They were the, they were going after the Dalton Schultz after you know Jarwin got hurt. They got some good weeks out of him. I mean, they were playing that and getting value out of it without having to pay up an early round. And so they actually got the benefit of those points from practically free players, at least as far as draft goes, plus whoever they were drafting in the draft instead of the early tight end. Yeah, I don't I don't even see that Tenyon had an ADP. And you have to you have to have an ADP to pop up in this. <laughs> of course. So there you go. There you go. From what I'm seeing, just the late round tight end strategy is is the way to go, especially, you know, when you have a year like this where you've got guys, you know, like James Robinson, Joe Mixon, Josh Jacobs, these, these running backs going in the second and third and fourth rounds that are, are probably worth the cost. And, you know, like on drafters where I'm playing best ball, 20 rounds, I can afford to take three or four tight ends late. I'm fine with that. It's not... It's not a you know an eighteen round draft where roster spots are more valuable. So, to me, uh, Darren Waller is still the value play if he can slip into you know deep into the third and in the fourth. If somehow he falls to you there, I, I think he still is the value play there because he has even tight end one potential. He has consistent points per game. He's remained fairly healthy. Not that that really means much it's that tight end, but it seems to me at that, at least it's a cheaper price that it, it mitigates that opportunity cost a little bit that I still was able to get, you know, my first two, even three rounds of other players in. Um, but that after that, yeah, just go late round tight end. And that's not a popular thing you're hearing right now at all. I keep saying it all over the place. You know, people saying, oh, it's early tight end or not or nothing. And I said, well, I agree with the or nothing part, but <laughs> they're too volatile and too injury prone because the, the tight end injury risk is just as high as running back. And so between that and the fact that the the tight end three or four or five, I should say, can be some guy you never heard of. The fact that that's even possible means the point difference between what you're paying and what some other team is going to get for practically nothing is not worth it because that other team is getting now the benefit of having drafted other running backs and wide receivers plus the tight end. And that's what we should be chasing. Yeah. I, I think so to go, to go back to the Waller thing, if you can get him in the, the third round or later, then I think that is great. And in the last three years, there have been three tight ends with third round ADPs and all three of them have hit in terms of having a, a win percentage above your one in 12 chances. So the third round seems to be the sweet spot. And then it really doesn't get good again until the 10th round and later. Yeah. Those double-digit round tight ends, that's where you got to go. Yeah, I think so. And you could still go – I mean, last year I was I was shouting this on my, my Twitter account. Uh, I mean, you could still sometimes get Hawkinson. I was sometimes reaching for him in, like, the ninth. Um, 
but the, there was the Johnny Smiths were going well after that and, and so on. And he, he hit early and that was my guy. And then it didn't do much the rest of the season, but there's going to be guys like that, that we're going to keep um, chasing and uh, you just keep taking chances. And like I said, because you're not paying up the opportunity cost, you're, you're more willing and, and ready and able to go after the other players on waivers in trades and so on because you're not tied to a guy just because of sunk cost. Yeah, I that that's a real thing in season especially in seasonal management type of leagues that that you know sunk cost affects people all the way through the season. I see it so many times with tight end because it's such a limited position both in the number of good players and in the fact that you, you hate wasting, you know, roster spots on so many of them, uh, especially in redraft leagues where you've got these shorter benches. And so I see all the time people hanging on these tight ends. And no, you got to turn them in redraft. You got to turn those tight ends. Okay, Josh, I think we're going to leave it at that with the people so that they, you know, people tend to remember the last thing. And so I think that's a really important thing for people to remember is stop overpaying for tight ends in drafts. Uh, I I know people, you're going to keep hearing people saying that you've got to do it, resist it and, and fade it and take the opportunity cost in another position with a higher hit rate (laughs) and more assured points. Yeah. Like there are so many, there are so many sources of good content out there to tell you which terrible tight end to start this week. And they hit more than you would think. Like the dumpster dive of tight end is not that bad. It's just not that bad. It's not that hard to figure out who's going to score a lot of points and who might throw a, a short pass to the white guy in the end zone. Like it's, it's just, it's a, it's a doable thing. I've been streaming tight ends for 10 years and and not only am I streaming them, they often turn into the the Kittles and the Wallers and the Mark Andrews, guys that you could literally pick up. And now they are top five, top six tight ends. And so sometimes that streaming guy or like Tunyon, that's what I'm saying. Some Just go after those guys. Um, Pay attention in season when I get my next week tonight series going again. I always love talking about trying to pick out who that who that weird tight end is going to be. Sometimes it's Cole Komet, right? Sometimes it's Jimmy Graham. You never know. Um, I've had some weird ones on there, and sometimes they hit, and sometimes they don't. But uh, you have just as good a chance going after that than you do uh, hoping that uh mark andrews decides to catch a touchdown this week (laughs) yeah like how much more expensive is the venture to go out and get kyle pitts right now like it's just it's a lot more it's a lot more go you're saying it's worth it to go after pitts no no i'm saying i'm saying that the cost like especially if we look back on the last few years like tj hawkinson tj hawkinson I think he's a good player, but he's not an elite tight end. You know, he's kind of in that he's kind of in that tier of tight end production that you get from 
like he's not that different than Logan Thomas. You know, there's like there's Travis Kels, there's George Kittle, there's Darren Waller, there's Mark Andrews, and then there's about 15 guys that are the same. And some of those guys were very expensive on their rookie years. And I just don't think it's a good bet to make. Well, yeah, if we're talking rookie and dynasty, sometimes, uh, yeah, you can definitely. I, I wasn't with people drafting Hawkinson in, in even the late first round. Um, but that said, he was a buy for me this past year going into his second season. And uh, I think that's kind of what you want to do. And I, I really, I still do like him as a top six career tight end. I do think he's a little above those other guys. And uh, didn't they just sign. Well, there was a signing. Detroit just signed uh, Tyrell Williams there, which I think is a sneaky good thing for TJ Hawkinson. It shows that they've invested in a veteran here that's not a not a high caliber signing, right? And right. so I'm sure they're going to try to draft somebody. But to me, it's like TJ Hawkinson can beat that competition, essentially is what I mean. So it's I'm not afraid of Tyrell Williams taking targets away from TJ Hawkins. No, I wouldn't be either. So the more resources the Lions spend on weapons that are not as good at Hawkinson, the better the prospects get for Hawkinson being a top weapon in that offense is what I mean. It's not that I don't like Hawkinson's future. I just feel like in 2020, like you you're going to get a pretty similar product from everyone from Hunter Henry to Austin Hooper, you know, Logan Thomas, Dallas Goddard, Noah Fant, Mike Gusecki. Like there's just a lot of these names that are quality tight ends. They're going to give you good weeks, but they're not going to be Travis Kels. And I, I just, I don't I, I just think you're better off dumpster diving Picking picking free names every week and not investing very much of your capital into any of these guys. Because unless you have an elite, elite tight end, I don't think that they pay off. Yeah, I agree as far as if you're drafting this year and where they're probably going to be going now. I, I definitely agree. Um, among those names, you, you do want to pick some guys that have that possible ceiling, which is why I've, I've I've been taking, uh, I've, I've been trying to get some Noah Fant. I think he has that ceiling. So you can get him at the price of like a Gusecki or definitely cheaper than Hawkinson. Um, but he also has that ceiling. If you have to in a dynasty, I, I do think it is worth, especially if it's tight end premium, to kind of go that route. But yearly, yeah, uh, just dumpster dive it. <laughs> Yeah, like in a, in a twenty round best ball, I'm I'm not having to go any further than like tight end sixteen, and and those were some of the names that I that I just said because they're hanging out, you know, like somebody's gonna fall, whether it's Hayden Hurst or Eric Ebron, somebody's gonna fall, and I'm just gonna take whoever's cheapest out of that group because I think they all have a pretty similar range of outcomes for 2020. And one of my favorites that you did say in there that I think is always underrated is Austin Hooper. And we saw him 
put together some really good weeks once he was kind of integrated into the offense. And I know they didn't have Beckham, but still I think Baker uh, really started to to do well with Hooper. And now that he's in that offense, and he's not old. I don't know why people always think he's older than he is, but he's only like 25. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I like Austin Hooper a lot too. I feel like I feel like the the Browns offense is is kind of a big enough question mark to kind of hide his value. Like I I I'm really kind of becoming more pessimistic about Odell ever returning to form and just thinking about what worked well for the Browns last year, I think that they would be doing well to just run out Hooper and Njoku and Chubb or Kareem and whoever it is. And like, that just seems like playing to their strengths to me. Yeah, just run a bunch of 22 with two running backs, two tight ends, and just Jarvis Landry running around out there. <laughs> like, it's ugly. It's ugly, right? It's going to be, it's not going to be super efficient. There's not going to be a lot of way down the field splash plays. But also, maybe it just chugs right along. <laughs> Throw some Donovan Peoples Jones in there for a few plays for those deep yeah. runs. Let him run. Let him run the sideline every play, and you know, three times a game, Baker looks his way. Yeah, yeah. Keep him honest, right? Yeah, <laughs> guy's a freak. So there you go. That that would be a guy that is in in your redraft leagues, and uh, I don't know where it's going in your best balls, um, but I imagine I, it's got to be after the twelfth, fourteenth round. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's super cheap, and he's exactly the type of guy that I want to take down there. There we go. Every year, just draft Austin Hooper. There you go. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening to our conversation here. I uh, hope you learned something. Draft Chris Godwin uh, before <laughs> before Cooper Cup, uh, and definitely not, definitely not after Robbie Anderson. <laughs> in order for me to like keep my sanity with my dj Moore disappointment i have to hold robbie anderson up and be like robbie anderson is a, just a, a wide receiver prodigy because otherwise the dj Moore disappointment is crushing okay <laughs> It is. It is hard. I wasn't quite on as high on him as you were last year, but I did have him up there as a potential wide receiver. One borderline did not did did not really happen. Yeah. All right. So there you have it. Get your tight ends cheap, and uh, do not overpay on them in especially the first round. It's it's third round third round tight end or fourteenth. Those are your options. That's the only rounds you're allowed to take tight end. I bet if you followed that, you'd, you'd have a very high win rate. <laughs> See you next time. Keep an eye out. Um, I, I did have a tweet out asking about if you have any particular uh, stat that you want to learn more about. I, I'm going to be over the next several even months for this whole off season maybe a little higher quality production value with some uh, video and everything, but I'll do an audio form as well where I want to dig into a single stat at a time. So these will be short things, but I want to dig into what the stat is, what it means, what it's actually saying, what we can actually learn from it, uh, the pros and the cons, and uh, just 
just leave it at that so we can have a better understanding of what you're looking at when you're looking at some of these things. So if you have a particular stat that you want to know more about, uh, go ahead and hit me up, fusionffb at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at fusionffb. And of course, if you have any questions or you want to yell at Josh and tell him how good Chris Godwin is or tell him how bad James Robinson is, you can find Josh. At JC Crocker on Twitter, and I'll yell back at you. I don't care. He will. He will. (laughs) All right, Josh, thanks again for joining me, and uh, see everybody. Weekly in-season expert consultant. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's do that. Just to just to pull meals chain. Why do you hate Chris Johnson? I already messed it up. I don't know what I was looking at. Chris Johnson. Well, <laughs> Chris Johnson. <laughs> no, okay, we'll try that again. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Not a Vikings fan. Um, and in in doing that, I found some ridiculously bad tweets that I don't know how some accounts ever recovered from. <laughs> like saying, beastly running backs, Ronald Jones, on Johnson, and Sonny Michelle. <laughs> and the trifecta. Get your tight ends cheap. And... Have a good night. I don't even know. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna have to fix that. It's your tight ends, Chief. I felt like there was something else to say there, and then it just I lost it. Josh is just laughing at me. All right, thanks for joining us, everybody. See you next time. I contributed. I contributed nothing to that ending.